Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. The Old Testament, and it intrigued me, especially since the fact that I've been a history student since since I can remember from, from the time of being an early teenager. Just history intrigued me. And so when I started to read the book of Exodus and got to the book of Exodus, I was like so intrigued. Um, you know, Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments was like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Couldn't wait till that time of the year came when they show that. And so when you, when you, when you start to read the book of Exodus, uh, you, you find out the true history of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, well, we would call the nation of Israel. So I, I made my way through the Old Testament, you know, plotted my way through the genealogies. And then, and then when I got to the New Testament and got into the Gospels and got through the Gospels, because the Gospels are a transitional book. You understand that, right? Yes. The Gospels are in between Old Testament. Gospels really are still Old Testament chronologically. It's just that that's where we have the revelation of Jesus Christ as, as, as Savior. But we don't find out who we are until we get to the epistles. The book of Acts, watch this now, the book of Acts is very much like the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the story of God's people coming out of darkness, coming out of Egypt. We're going to talk about it tonight. We'll get there. And the book of Acts is the history of the church coming out of darkness, coming out of the world, separating itself more and more from slavery, and, and walking into the promised land. And the epistles are our instructions of how we're supposed to live in the promised land. You, you're catching this. I want to clarify that because some people think, well, you know, we get to heaven, that's our promised land. No, 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 honey. Heaven's not the promised land. Your promised land is here on earth. Okay? In the promised land, there's giants, there's enemies, there's walls, there's all kinds of obstacles. You don't have any of that in heaven. Are you listening? There's none of that in heaven. So that can't be the promised land. Where do you have giants to fight, enemies to contend with, walls to knock down? Here. So, our, this is, so, so when I started to realize that, I went back and read the book of Exodus again and went, oh, my God, this is our story. Turn to somebody and say, it's our story. The book of Exodus is our story. You and I were slaves under Pharaoh, under, under Satan the taskmaster. It took a miraculous event for you to come out of darkness and start heading towards your promised land. Amen? I'm giving you too much already. Let me get in here. <laughs> let's, take the, let's take in the backstory, okay, real quick, because, you know, maybe you haven't read the book of Genesis, which leads up to the book of Exodus. Jacob's son. You remember Jacob is Abraham's grandson. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Okay. So Jacob had a bunch of children. His second to the youngest son, Joseph, okay, was sold into slavery. That's a whole nother. I hope some of you read that. I told you two weeks ago to go to Genesis 37, I believe it is, the beginning of Joseph's story, and read that because that is kind of like the precursor to the nation of Israel being in Egypt, okay? He's, he ends up in Egypt, and through a series of events, ultimately he winds up as Pharaoh's right-hand man, uh, the most powerful, second man, second most powerful man in the Egyptian empire, which the Egyptian empire at that time was the most powerful empire in history up until that point in time. So uh, a famine breaks out. Joseph calls for his family from Canaan. Uh, they come to join him, uh, Joseph, in Egypt. There's 70 individuals that come from the land of Canaan. They come and join Joseph. Pharaoh is very much um, uh, a friend to, to Joseph and to Jacob, and one of the most endearing uh, encounters you find is when Joseph's father, Jacob, actually comes to Egypt and meets Pharaoh, and they have this, this amazing conversation between the two. So, so there was a great relationship that God established between them, but at one point in time, that Pharaoh dies. The next Pharaoh comes on the scene. He's a little bit familiar, but eventually, about two or three Pharaohs later, they have no clue who these Jews are, where they came from, what they're all about. Am I, am I getting some feedback here? Am I right? Is it me or is it you? <laughs> Sounds like we're breaking up. It's not, it's not you. It's me. 
so this pharaoh, two or three pharaohs down the road, becomes very suspicious of the Israelites because they are multiplying. They came in 70. Most Bible commentators tell us by the time, 430 years later, by the time they leave Egypt, they're anywhere from 2.5 million to 3 million people out of an original 70. God knows how to increase. And even under the worst circumstances, they were slaves, they were impoverished, they were oppressed, but they still increased. Amen? That's a lesson for us. So, for about 400 years, they're slaves. That was no surprise. We talked about this. Some of this is review from a few weeks ago. God had told Abraham exactly what was going to happen to his descendants. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, we see this incident took place in, in Abraham's life, or Abram at this point in time. Um, he goes to God, and he pretty much says to God, how do I know that what you tell me is going to happen is going to happen? Okay, you don't want to ask God that question because he's going to show you. He's going to give you something very powerful. Is this still happening? Should I take this out or what? Is it me? Somebody comes to you. Is that you, Caroline? No. It's not me, look. All right, come on, let's get back in here. So here's what happens. Abram says to God, how do I know that this is going to happen? And God says, all right, watch this. And the Bible tells us that, I'll just read from Scripture. Uh, in verse 12 of Genesis 15, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Verse 14. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Man, I could preach on that one for a week. Because right now, you're going through some hard times, and you think this is the way it's going to be all the time. And it's not. And you can't... You know, for, for, they were there 430 years. Let's say the first 150 years was okay. But after that, they spent a few hundred years being miserable. A few hundred years. Some of them lived and died and never saw the promise come to pass. You listening? They lived and died. Generations lived and died, never saw the promise come to pass. But one day, the deliverer shows up on the scene. So it was no surprise to God. It was no surprise to Abram. And we have to understand as we proceed, you will see that every word that God spoke to Abraham came to pass in detail. He said, your descendants are going to be strangers and they're going to be slaves in a strange land. And sure enough, here we come now, 400 and something later, years later, about 430 years later. Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And you know, Levi is one of the tribes, okay? Actually, the priestly tribe, the tribes where the priests would, uh, would come from when the temple was built. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that the son was, a, that he was a fine child. Now, you got to read in that. Because uh, the original translation, the original language says, she saw that there was something special about this one. Now, that didn't mean, oh, he's a Gerber baby. We should have him do modeling. She, she obviously, because every parent thinks their kid is model material. But you have to look at the spiritual side of this. She recognized something about this child. And I want to say, I want to compare it to when John the Baptist saw Jesus the first time. He saw something that maybe everybody else didn't see. He recognized something. Okay, you, are you listening? So she knew this, this is the one, okay? And so um, uh, she saw that there's something very special about him. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it in tar and pitch, and she placed the child in the basket, put it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile. Okay, now, what I failed to mention, some of you might be thinking, well, why would she do that? Is because Pharaoh... Because he became very concerned about how the Israelites were multiplying, had issued an order that the midwives were to take every male Israelite child and 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 kill, basically kill the kill the child and throw him in the river. So she kind of was obeying that command. She threw him in the river, but she put him in a basket and placed and and, and they placed him in a strategic place in the river 
so that Pharaoh's daughter, when she would come down to bathe, would see this basket. She would take pity on this child. She would take the child in as her own. And Moses uh, ends up being born, excuse me, being raised in Pharaoh's household. Now, now, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about those years, but if you read some of the histories outside of the Bible of that time, specifically if you read the writings of a man named Josephus that lived right around the time, uh, about 70 AD, right around that time frame, he wrote a history of the Jews. He presented it to the Romans so that they would understand these people because the, the Jews, the Jewish nation, perplexed the Roman Empire. They couldn't understand who these people are. Why do they dress the way they do? Why do they eat the way they do? Why do they only worship one God when the Romans worshiped hundreds and hundreds of gods? It, they almost seem to be just nonsensical. And so in an attempt to save his life, Josephus makes a deal with the Romans. So listen, if you spare my life, I'll write you a complete history of my people so that you'll be able to understand them. And so he talks about Moses. And he claims that Moses was not only eventually becomes the, the deliverer of God's people, but while he was raised in Pharaoh's household, obviously he's being raised by some of the greatest teachers of that time. He was a, an engineer. He was a professional engineer, obviously responsible for building a lot of the, 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 the monuments and things that we see that survive even to this day. We're told by Josephus that he was the general in charge of the Egyptian army that, fe that defeated the Ethiopians. And you go look in history and find out there was a war that was fought between Egypt and Ethiopia during that time frame. And so we, we know that Moses wasn't just, you know, you see him in the movies and, you know, he shows up in burning bush, rags, a stick in his hand. You know, uh, that's not the Moses of reality of the Bible. He was a brilliant individual. In fact, it was probably his intellect that got him into trouble. Uh, the first time he tried to deliver God's people. We'll talk about that. So the deliverer, Moses, is then allowed to grow up right in Pharaoh's house. He's hidden. He's hidden. His identity is hidden. He knows who he is. His mother knows who he is. But everybody around him does not know who he is. You, you catching this? Okay. Jesus, our deliverer, was hidden by Joseph and Mary. To escape being murdered, they brought him to Egypt. I don't think that's a coincidence. And he grew up in plain sight, yet he's the deliverer. And that's why it was such a... You think about this. You remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to his hometown, to the synagogue, and they don't recognize him. Moses showed up, and they said, Who are you? Who sent you? You remember that whole conversation between him and God? It happens very, very often in the scriptures that God raises up ones that seem to be the least likely. It's never the ones that the world is looking for. It's always the one that God has his hand upon. Amen. You listening? And so we, we need to see, so just like just Jesus, just like Moses grew up in plain sight until the time of deliverance was right. And so Jesus shows up on the banks of the Jordan River, Matthew chapter 4. And he's baptized by John, his cousin. As he comes up out of the water, John the Baptist perceives the Spirit of God coming down like a dove, didn't say he was a dove, like a dove, and just hovers over Jesus. And he, he's saying, it's just like many times, you can see the anointing come upon an individual. You listening? If you'll watch sometimes during worship, our worship leaders, they'll get to a point where something, where it's almost like you hit a nerve in the spirit and you can see the anointing come upon the other. And I, there was, there was a, young, there's a young man in our church here. Um, he just left to go do some training somewhere. He's a young guy. And I would laugh every time I'd stand there and smile because he'd be up here leading worship, young guy, just starting to experience the things of God. And all of a sudden, the anointing would come on him and he'd start going like this. He didn't know what's happening. I can't believe this. This is so cool because he's such an innocent, pure-hearted kid. All he knew was, whoa, this feels good. And so, so John the Baptist was seeing that same, listen to me, was seeing that same thing. 
If you have eyes to see and your spirit is sensitive, you can see when the anointing comes on an individual. Are you listening to me? So what is that big deal? Because the anointing turns you into a different person. And we need that. Amen? So we need to see, to really understand the book of Exodus, you need to see and understand the comparisons between the exodus out of Egypt and our exodus out of the kingdom of Satan. Okay? Listen, if you take your notes, write this down. Egypt always represents the world. You got that? Pharaoh always represents Satan. Moses always represents Christ, the Messiah. Slavery always represents sin. Okay? The crossing of the Red Sea is symbolic of our born-again experience. Okay? You miraculously were translated out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen? The promised land, like I talked about before, is our life on earth as Christians. The wilderness. We don't like to talk about the wilderness. The wilderness represents when you and I get out of God's will and we get into doubt and unbelief and we wander around. You got it? Okay. So, the central theme of the story of Exodus is found in Exodus 4.22. God speaking to Moses says, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so he may what? Worship Worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now, Now, remember this. I love the way this all fits together. Watch this now. What chapter is this? Chapter 4. So in the very first conversation that Moses has with Pharaoh, he tells him, this is what God says. And basically, if you want to paraphrase it, he says to Pharaoh, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. If you choose to do this the hard way, your firstborn is going to die. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. No. God's given him a choice. You listening? God's given him a choice. It didn't have to go that way. Pharaoh could have humbled himself, and the story would have been different. So everything in the Exodus story happened in order to fulfill this goal, that God's people would be free to worship him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can I spend five seconds here? I don't know why, but lately I feel like the Holy Ghost has me emphasizing this particular thing that I'm going to discuss with you. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whose God is he? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when you get into the New Testament, Paul begins to talk about the Father as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Are you born again? Yes. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. Then you are a child of God. Amen? Amen. You are in Christ. Yes? Yes. So now you being in Christ is how you got associated with God. You listening? But up until the point that Jesus shows up on the scene, he's only the God of Abraham Come on. Say it again, because some of you have some difficulty pronouncing those. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What do all three of those individuals have in common uh, besides being grandfather, father, and son? They're Jewish. Going to say it again, because this is becoming a problem in our area. If you've got a problem with Jews... How are you going to face God? Well, I don't like that. Nobody tells you how to like them. But just don't curse them. Because what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is still in force to today. And he said to Abram, 
I will bless those, come on, say it. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse. Back up. You put a word in there that's not there. I will curse him who curses you. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the Trinity there. Don't ask me to explain it. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. But the fact is, we got in through Jesus Christ. And we better thank God we did. Now, listen, and this is, this is one you're going to have to swallow it. He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are still promises that he made to Abram that have not come to pass yet. And God always keeps his promises. I hope you're catching this. Okay, now I'm not trying to force something down your throat. But if at best, stay neutral. Because there's a lot of stupidity going on right now, a lot of stupidity on Facebook. Don't dare get yourself caught up in that stuff. All right? All right. So, when Jesus died on the cross, it was similar in nature because Egypt had to suffer God's punishment so the people could go free. Jesus had to suffer God's punishment so that you and I could go free. You catching this? Okay. What are we free to do? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Love this scripture. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not, been obtained, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And that's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not just free so that you don't go to hell. Not to go free just to become prosperous. Not to go free just to be healed. Not to go free just to be happy and content. The message that was sent to Pharaoh was this, the very first message. Let my people go that they may worship me. And worship, we, we've talked about this, which to declare the worth of, to serve someone, to submit to, to be consecrated to. Now, when Adam and Eve followed Satan's suggestions, they basically elevated Satan they elevated Satan's worth to the place that God had held in their life previously. Satan's thoughts, Satan's seeds, Satan's suggestions were allowed to be elevated above that of God's, and that's true spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not you fighting against witches. Spiritual warfare is you making sure that your thoughts, the intentions of your heart, are not taking what is of Satan, the lust of the flesh, the, 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 the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, everything that entrapped Adam and Eve, to make sure that you're not doing what they did and elevating Satan's lies above the promises of God and the nature of God. Amen. That's true spiritual warfare. Yes. Amen. So the Exodus story is all about God's people being set free so that they could, tra watch this, so they could transfer their allegiance from Pharaoh to God. Yes or no? Yes. Their allegiance, their worship, their affection, their adoration, their submission had to be transferred from Pharaoh to God Almighty. Salvation is all about Jesus setting us free so that we can transfer our allegiance, our worship, our affection, our adoration, our submission from Satan to God Almighty. Are you getting this? Yes. All right. So we need an exodus from the influences of this world in order to experience the reality of God. The presence of God and the victory that Jesus purchased for us on the cross cannot be experienced. Let me put it to you this way. We can't live in victory if we're still living in Egypt. I, yeah. I don't know that you're getting this. Well, what do you mean, Pez? We live in New Jersey. We're on the Jersey Shore. We're in Ocean County. 
What does Egypt always represent in the scriptures? The world. What do you mean by the world, Pastor? Are we, is this a cult? Are we supposed to cut ourselves off from everybody? No, no, no. There's, there's God's system of living. And then there's the world's system of living. You catching this? God's system of living makes us dependent upon him. Or I should say it this way, requires us to be dependent upon him. Requires us to acknowledge him in all of our ways so that he can direct our path. Acknowledge, it requires us to, to seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things, and then all these things, things will be added unto us. The world seeks to make you the center, make you, I'm a self-made person. That's demonic. It's satanic in nature. You, 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 you must live your life in submission to God. In fact, it should come very natural once you're born again. And there might be a struggle in your soul here and there, but your desire should be to live according to God's system of living to get as far away from the world system as possible. The world system of living is, I love you as long as you do stuff for me. God's system is, I love you because you need me. You catching this? So, so, so I'm saying this so that you can start taking inventory. Okay, because some of us, even though we're born again, we're spirit-filled, we're going to heaven, but there's still pockets in, of resistance in our souls that are still drawn to the system of the world. You're listening. We, we want to step on people to get where we want to go. That, that's not godly. That's a worldly attitude. We, we want to, we, we, we derive our contentment and our sense of accomplishment, sense of fulfillment by what we have, things. But Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom, like we said just before, then all these things will be added unto you. He said, in the context is, stop knock, stop banging your head against the wall trying to get things. He knows what you need. He knows what you have to wear. He knows you need a house to live in. He knows you need a car to drive. He knows you need food in the refrigerator. Seek him first. Put him as a priority. The world would say, well, you know, it's nice that you have religion because, you know, I guess maybe you need a crutch, you know. You know, it's nice that you have religion, but, you know, don't get carried away with it. Keep it on Sunday. Keep it to yourself. And some of us, you know, of course, nobody here tonight, but some of us have fallen into that trap of, categorizing our lives, compartmentalizing. This is who I am on Sunday. This is who I am on Wednesday night. But you know, I had somebody say this to me, and I was like, oh, dear God, how am I not going to backhand this person? <laughs> well, you know, Pastor, I have to live in the real world. No, because I'm a cartoon character. Uh, <laughs> I have to live in the real world. Insinuating, justifying well, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian, but you know, when I'm out there, I got to wheel and deal. I got to do what I got to do. Do we need to go any further with this? <laughs> so we need an exodus for that kind of thinking. Because, you know, that flip-flopping, that doubt and unbelief, that all that junk that went on from the time they got through the Red Sea and stepped on the other shore on the other side, from that point until they get to Jericho, there's all kinds of craziness going on. Manipulating. Rebellion. Griping and complaining against Moses. Griping and complaining against God. All of a sudden, they went into that syndrome where you fantasize things that were horrible when you went through them. But then the further you get away from that thing, you start romanticizing. And so they start going, oh, my God, the melons that we used to eat, the, the garlic, the leeks. And, and, and if I was God, I would have came down and said, who are you kidding? You were starving to death in Egypt. And now you're talking about the melons we ate. And they, they made it sound like there was a, a, an all-you-can-eat buffet 20 hours hour, like, like they were on a cruise. But they're starving to death. But you see, they got the further you get away from that trauma, you start forgetting and you start thinking about Egypt. And oh, I can't stand when somebody says, oh, the good old days. They were never good. They were never good. Now, here's another principle. God 
always takes you out in order to take you in. That's why he was so angry with them in the wilderness. Because a trip that should have took about three weeks, even with me driving, <laughs> took 40 years. 40 years. Now, could you imagine how frustrated Moses was? No wonder why the guy never gets to go in the promise. He got him so fed up. He just starts making stupid mistakes. Why? Do you realize he's 80 years old when he starts this thing? 80 years old. 80 years old. Oh, that was back then. No, 80 years old is 80 years old. 80 years old. I guarantee you, every day he's looking at his watch going, how many more days do I have? How many more years do I have? How many more? And these people, are, these clowns are wasting time. 40 years for maybe a three-week trip. 40 years. It was never God's will for them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. It is never God's will for you to spin your wheels like living life like you're playing bumper cars. Just boom. And you start over again. And boom. And you start over again. And boom. And you're, and you're leaving casualties all over the place. That's not what our life is supposed to be spent like. He took you out in order to take you in. He didn't take you out so that you could continue to live your life like you were living before, just in a different location. You catching this? People always say, yeah, yeah, Pastor, I think we're just going to move to Florida. Because there's too much trouble up here. Why would you want to do that to Florida? <laughs> we almost fell in that trap in 1990. Well, I guess we just moved to Florida. You know, we lost everything up here. We're in bankruptcy. We're just gonna, we'll just go to Florida. That's why Florida's in the shape it's in. Because every time somebody goes in bankruptcy, they want to run to Florida. <laughs> Every one of us knows someone or you've been there and moved back already. Because the problem is when you go to Florida, you take you with you. Come on. I'm not trying to be funny here tonight. This is common sense. Where you go, you go. He takes you out to take you in. He never takes you out to leave you flopping in the wind. He takes you out in order to bring you into. Now, one of the biggest mistakes, and I don't think I'm going to get to go into it in big, great detail tonight. We'll do it next week. Moses knew that he was called to something. Moses, I mean, you don't give up the job that this guy has in the palace. He's got it made. He can go on vacation anytime he wants. He's probably got houses all over, all over Egypt, waterfront, in the desert, on the Mediterranean. He's got it made. He's got the life of... He, he's, and he's Moses. Everybody, everywhere he goes, Moses, Moses. You don't, he, he's, he's the head of the Egyptian army. His grandfather is Pharaoh. You don't jeopardize that unless you know that you know that you know. I'll never forget when I was in business in 1992. We went in bankruptcy in 1990, lost everything. Scraped what we could together. Thank God for my grandfather lent me money to go back in business. 1992, go back in business. By 1994, I could finally take a paycheck. I could finally go buy sneakers for my kids. I could finally pay their tuition for school. We could finally go grocery shop and not have to worry about how much we have. You know, you're never the calculator while you're shopping. So you're not embarrassed when you go to the cash register. We finally got to that point. And then God impresses on my heart, it's time to go to Bible school. Are you kidding? Now? Now? You couldn't send me two years ago when we had nothing to leave behind? Now. But you see, there's always something to walk away from in order to walk in what God has for you. Are you listening to me? There's some of you tonight, you may have to, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not talking to married people. But there are some of you tonight may have to walk away from a relationship in order for you to get into the one that God really has for you. 
You're going to follow God. There's always going to be something that you're going to have to walk away from. There's always a price to pay. But let me tell you something. When you finally get into the, the will of God where he's got you, man, there's no price that's too expensive. Because you start realizing, man, this is what I'm born for. So now Moses realizes. God starts to open his eyes. And he starts seeing the, the terrible condition of his brothers and sisters because he knows who he is. But instead of waiting for God to establish it, he steps out on his own, tries to come to the defense of one of his Hebrew brothers and ends up killing an Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. There's only one problem. Somebody saw him do it and reports back to Pharaoh. And this thing goes full-blown. It's all over the newspapers. It's all over the internet. Everybody knows Moses killed this guy. And so now he's got to flee. Now watch this now. You can't follow God's plan while you're still in Egypt. Where did he take his first steps towards becoming the deliverer? He's still in Egypt. He didn't wait for God to take him out so God could take him in. So what does he do? He's got to spend the next 40, he's 40 years old when that happened. He's got to spend the next 40 years on what's called the backside of the desert. Like desert wasn't bad enough, okay? He's got to go to the backside of the desert. And basically it's like God said, um, go to the back of the line. I love you. I'm going to deal with you, but I didn't tell you to kill this guy. Just because you were starting to sense something on the inside doesn't mean that I gave you permission to step out. Are you listening to me? I've seen that happen so many times in 35 years. So many times. You've got to get out of Egypt before you can start taking the first steps. You've got to, you've got, it's got to be God's time. Listen to me. I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to multiple individuals tonight. It's got to be God's time. And so the next 40 years, Moses spends taking care of sheep. You think that was by accident? Because what does he do when he comes back and leads the people of Israel out of Egypt? He's taking care of sheep. And everything that he learned he gets to put into practice. God never wastes your time. You listening to me? Even the mistakes that you make, if you keep your heart right, if you repent, he will redeem the time. Amen. And, and, you'll, and, and if your heart's right, if your heart's not right, you're going to keep walking in the wilderness, walking in the wilderness, walking in the wilderness, and still God's mercy was there. Because it says they, they, they lived in the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. Amen. God supernaturally provided for them and supernaturally extended the life of everything they had because he was training them. Are you willing to be trained? Are you willing to submit yourself to God to do it? And listen to me, this, this, unfortunately, this has become a lost art in the church. And what, let me tell you something. We need an exodus from certain mindsets. Okay? This salvation thing is not about you. It's not about me. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you and I could just have a life of leisure, that we could just, yeah, God loves me. He loves me so much. He wants me to be happy. See, the problem is what you call happy and we, what he calls happy is two different things. People say over the years, and they say this about Anthony, Pastor Anthony, I'm sure you hear the same things about with people. How do you do this? How do you, do, how do you keep up the schedule? You guys are traveling constantly, always ministry. How do you keep up the schedule? How do you do? How do you work like? How do you, how do you like, how are you on seven days a week, 24-7 call? How are you? You never shut down. You're saying, it's the grace of God. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing anything else with my life. These past 22 years had been a joy. Has it been difficult? Of course it's been difficult. 
Has it been strenuous? Of course it's been strenuous. I had a full head of hair when we started this church. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I wish I had a full head of hair. But you see, there is a joy. There is a contentment. There is a sense of fulfillment. There's a, there's a sense of immortality when you are doing what God called you to do. I can, I, I, Pastor, I can never do it because you're not called to it. But there's things that you're doing that I could never do. I'm not called to it. You're called to it. But let me tell you this. Don't waste your life on just floating from thing to thing. You and I have a responsibility to get in the face of God, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean to get there and go find out why you exist. Go find out what part you're supposed to play. And then when you find that out, jump in it no matter how difficult it is, no matter what price you have to pay, no matter what it costs you, no matter what friends or family you have to leave behind. Go do what God has called you to do. Stop resisting the, the call of a pioneer. Stop resisting the life of a martyr. Stop it. Stop looking for comfort all the time. Stop measuring your, your success as a Christian by how much you have and how many vacations you can take and what kind of car you... Stop it. You're wasting resources. You're wasting his presence. You're wasting the power of his word. You are wasting time. And listen to me. All those parables that Jesus talked about, accountability, stewardship, he wasn't kidding. They're not just in there to make the gospels a little bit longer. It's not like when you used to do term papers when you were a kid. You know, you made sure your hand wrote it so you took up so much time on the paper. Because, you know, your teacher told you it's got to be four pages long, and you put about a paragraph and a half, but you stretched it out over four. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. You listening? We're going to be held accountable for our stewardship, for our management of how we spent our time, how we spent our resources. Did we follow what God put on our hearts? Stop looking for comfort. There is very little sense of contentment. When your life is constantly driven for, uh, by, by this search for comfort and contentment and things and, and glory and status and position, you're never, ever satisfied because that's not what you were created for. You were created with this little thing on the inside that got... You remember the Superman movie? Uh, we just watched one of the most recent ones uh, uh, just a little while ago. Um, what was the name of that one? The one with the... Um, I, I featured it in one of our uh, at the movies things a couple of years ago. What? Man of Steel, thank you, Man of Steel. Okay, do you remember he finds that little that little thing? It looks like a, a fountain pen or whatever. He, he finds that thing and it's got the S on the thing there, you know, because we're not supposed to know it's an S, you know, it's a symbol. And and then he he goes to wherever it is, the North Pole or I don't know, and he goes to that place where and he finds the ship that was there. And he finds that, that thing, and he has to insert that. You, you remember what I'm talking about? He's got to insert that thing, okay? And then what happens? When he inserts that thing, man, his life really gets interesting. You have the same thing on the inside of you. That might not have an S on it, but you have that thing that God has given you. And it exists someplace in your imagination. It exists someplace in your soul. There's a place in your dreams that you've gotten glimpses of it. But you've never had the guts to go, that's mine, I'm taking it. And, and when you do that, and you, and you insert that in that place in your heart, and then all of a sudden, bam, everything starts to come alive. Everything starts to happen. Everything, and all of a sudden, things start to, be, and things start to come to pass, and pieces start to fit together. But there's a price to pay. But listen to me. Don't sit there and go, well, well, you know, he's a pastor. That happened that way. No. That goes across the board for every person that's ever been born and every person that ever will be born, every person that's ever existed. God did not create some people to just fill the earth and waste time. Every single one of us are part of that Jeremiah 29, 11 thing. 
for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. A hope and a future. You know what's so incredible about that scripture? Because we love, we love to put it on bumper stickers, we love to put it on t-shirts, we love to put it on bracelets, all this other kind of stuff. But do you ever, have you ever gone and found out the context? When you find out the context of that scripture, you get a picture of the mercy of God and the love of God like never before. Because God spoke that through the prophet Jeremiah as the people of Israel were going into judgment. He had been warning them for hundreds of years, stop this idolatry, stop this idolatry, stop this idolatry. Stop. And they didn't listen, and they didn't listen, and they didn't listen. And finally, the time comes, that's it, done. Obviously, you're only going to learn a lesson through suffering. And God sends them into captivity. The armies of Babylon come to destroy the city of Jerusalem. The majority of the population is going to be taken captive and deported to Babylon. And in the midst of that horrible judgment, these people had to see the temple destroyed with their own eyes. These people had to see the city of Jerusalem go up in flames. Some of, them, some of the top leaders had to see their sons and daughters slain before their eyes and then had their eyes plucked out. In the midst of that kind of judgment, God says to you, I still have a plan for you. I'm still going to provide you with a hope and a future. And he tells them, he gives them instruction. When you're brought to that land, pray. Pray. I still have a plan. I still have a plan. That is the mercy of God. That is the goodness of God. That is the character of God. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Did you get anything tonight? Yes. Father, we bless you and we praise you, God. Thank you, Father. You're so good to us. You're so faithful towards us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Father. Now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, even as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that you would grant unto each and every one of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God, that the eyes of our understanding, Father, would be enlightened, that we would know what the hope of your calling is, Lord. Father, in every area of life, you've called certain individuals. We recognize not everyone's called to the ministry, Father. We understand there are some that are called to specific professions. There are some that are called to specific vocations. There are some that are called uh, to be godly examples of fathers and husbands and wives and mothers. And Father, every one of those are extremely important. But Father, keep us from the mistakes that Moses made. Keep us from the mistakes that Joseph made. Keep us from the mistakes that Jacob made. Father, help us to learn from others' mistakes that we don't make our own. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that those that you've already been speaking to, those that have already sensed the draw on the inside, a tug, a pull, Father, I pray that you would flood their hearts with wisdom and understanding. Father, I pray that you would speak loudly to them by your spirit, God placed your feet upon the, upon the very beginning stepping stones of the fulfillment of your plan in each and every person's life. Father, we, we bless you tonight. We love you. We're so grateful, God, that you brought us into relationship with yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, if there's anyone here tonight that is that's not yet come into relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are some here tonight that have not yet declared with their mouth what they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he did die on the cross for our sins, that you did raise him from the dead, Father. If they have never yet, up until this point in their lives, asked Jesus to come into their life, to be their Lord, to be their Savior, Father, I pray that tonight is that night that they would experience being born again, that they would escape, Father, being separated from you for all of eternity, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you deal with the individuals that are here tonight. 
that have never said that prayer, that have never received Jesus, that have never said, I want Jesus, I want Jesus. I'm willing to turn my back on this world. I'm willing to turn my back on sin. I'm willing to turn my back on, on, on everything that, that is in darkness. I want Jesus. And if that's you that I pray for right now, and you know in your heart that it's you, I want you to just do me this favor right now. Just raise one hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, real quick. Don't fool around with your eternity. Thank you. Thank you. I know there's other people that you feel in your heart. You're supposed to raise your hand. You're supposed to receive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't mess around with your eternity. Thank you. Okay, everybody, lift your heads up. Lift your heads up. We're going to pray this prayer together. Now, I know which one of you raised your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. But let's pray a prayer all together, every single one of us, okay? Let's pray together with our brothers and sisters who raised their hands, okay? Because it's starting already in their heart because they raised their hands. They already said, yeah, I want you. Let's say this prayer together. Ready? One, two, three. Say it nice and loud. Say it from your heart. Father, Father I, believe I believe with all my heart, all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he went to the cross to die for my sins. I believe that three days later, you raised him from the dead. And Jesus is alive right now. He's in heaven with you. And he hears my prayer. So I pray, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making me a child of God. I am now born again. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person in Christ. If anything were to happen to me tonight, I believe that I would be instantly in the presence of God for all of eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen up. Don't open those doors yet. Do not open those doors yet. Those of you that raised your hands, I pray that you'll have the courage and the boldness that when everyone else is dismissed, instead of walking that way, you walk this way. Why? I want to put a Bible in your hand. We have some other books to give you. This is not the end of your journey. This is the beginning. This is the beginning, okay? Now, if there's anybody else that needs prayer for anything while you're here, there are people up here that are trained to pray with you and pray for you. Those of you that raise your hands, please give us the honor and the privilege to be able to put a Bible in your hands, to be able to shake your hand and just say thank you for making the greatest decision you ever made. Amen? Amen. Let's give it up for those who raise their hands tonight. Okay. If you need prayer for anything or you're coming up here because you prayed that prayer, come on up. Everybody else, you're dismissed. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.